My social media links are in the description below. You already know this podcast is in cooperation with the one and only Voltage Live. We're going to start things off today by talking about James Arden going to the Los Angeles Clippers so that the Clippers can play small ball with James Arden, Lorenzo Westbrook, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and try to run it back. Now, we all know James Harden was disgruntled in Philadelphia. He felt like him and Daryl Morey's relationship was unrepairable. Every felt like Daryl Morey lied to him. Although Daryl Morey got rid of Doc Rivers strictly for James Harden. But be that as it may, this is what James Harden always does. James Harden quit his way out of Houston. He quit his way out of Brooklyn. He has now quit his way out of Philadelphia. And the only question I have is when will he quit his way out of the Clippers? Because this, ladies and gentlemen, will not work. James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George. Not only are the two big dogs on that team, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, injury-prone. They have not played more than two-thirds of the season together in the four seasons that they have been with the Clippers. But outside of Zubac now, the Clippers do not have a big. Now, they did get P.J. Tucker in the deal. I really like P.J. Tucker, a great 3-and-D guy, versatile guy, alongside Terrence Mann, is going to improve that Clipper bench. But to me, this is going to be a lot of whose turn is it? My turn, his turn, his turn, my turn. And the fit does not work great. Now, if you were going to tell me that Russ may run the second unit and you have Harden at the point, Kawhi and Paul George at the wing, James Harden does not score a lot. He almost averages 10 points a game and just distributes. I could be on board with that. The problem is, though, that Arden does not play defense. We know how Russ is. We know he doesn't love coming off the bench. We know he turns the ball over. We know he plays at 100 miles per hour like a wild pony, but we know he's not efficient when it comes to shooting. So to me, this is just a bunch of old parts. For Philadelphia, they had to get James Arden out of the locker room. They got, you know, Kenyon Martin and a bunch of nice rotational pieces. Uh, but they are now moving forward with Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey. The question that I have is going to be, can they swing Tobias Harris and some of these other role players to go get that third complimentary star? We talk a lot about it in the NBA. Nowadays, you need your superstar. Philadelphia has that in Joel Embiid. You have your star. Philadelphia has that in Tyrese Maxey. They need to go find that third role piece. Again, for the Clippers, they're in the competition of the Western Conference. Where you have Denver, you have Phoenix, you have the, the Lakers. You have all of these teams that, you know, I thought the Clippers would be a playing team to sort of start the year because I don't trust Kawhi Leonard. I don't trust Paul George's health. And there's just a bunch of up-and-coming young teams. Oklahoma City is one of them that's going to make it very challenging. You still got Dallas as well with Luka Dodge and Kyrie Irving. So I get it from Phoenix or from the Clippers' perspective. I know that they that they needed a point guard. Uh, I just think that there's too many chefs in the kitchen here. I think all those four personalities, especially with Kawhi Leonard not being a vocal leader, we saw James Arden and Kyrie Irving sort of melt down together in Brooklyn. So with all that being said, I don't think it's it's going to work. For Philadelphia, I don't think it ships the needle unless they get that third star. I still think they're at best fourth or fifth in the Eastern Conference.
So we are getting to game four tonight of the World Series between the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Texas Rangers. Rangers out two to one with game one obviously being the best game of the series, sort of a feel-out game. Then Arizona dominates game two, Texas dominates game three. Here we are, a two-to-one series. This World Series has not been well-perceived. And again, outside of game one, it hasn't been great baseball. I thought game one was really important for Arizona to try to steal, gain momentum. Yes, they got the momentum in game two, but they needed to respond. They needed to come back in game three, which they did not. Max Scherzer just shut down that old Texas lineup. And I think what we're seeing in this World Series, what we saw sort of all season long, obviously up to the last day of the regular season, Texas was dominating the AL West. They were better than Seattle. They were better than Houston all season long until Houston sort of came up, swept the rug underneath them. And I think we all take, took a look at that ALCS and said this is probably our World Series between Texas and Houston without even those two ball clubs are. But Texas, who's been so based on the home run ball, we saw it in game one. Their offense did not get going in game two. But we saw what they do when they get a lead early. They got a 3 nothing lead in game three early. They were able to keep that momentum. When Texas does not trail, they're very hard to beat. Arizona, they can move them all on the base pass. They can get more base hits. When they get a lead, their pitching depth can shut down. So, to me, this World Series is all about... Who gets the lead first? And is that lead a two-three-run lead? Because if they're able to build on it, the other offenses can both go cold. The difference is Arizona does not have the home run hitters that Texas has. So Texas is able to come back uh, in, in a lot better fashion. But I think Texas is a deeper team. I said it at the time. I think they win this World Series in five games. Right now I'm sticking to it. I think that there is a potential here for Thursday when we come back right here on the Branch World Podcast for us to celebrate the Texas Rangers winning the World Series. If that does not happen, I think it'll end in six. I see no way this thing goes seven. Again, Arizona has some nice players. Uh, Corbin Carroll being one of them, the good rookie. They're a nice story. They were the last team to get into the MLB postseason. They they rode the momentum. They, they kind of hung in there against the Phillies. Once they figured them out, they shut them down in game six and game seven in Citizens Bank Park. But Texas featuring their starting pitching, their, their inning, their, their ability to hit the long ball and their bullpen. They feel like the best team in baseball. And this World Series to me, especially if Texas wins tonight in Arizona, Tonight's a pivotal game for if Arizona does not come out with the victory. I do think Texas goes on. They'll win this series in five games. And so that, I think, is what is going to happen. So week eight in the National Football League went as well as it possibly could for my money line picks and best predictions. We're going to get into it, points that there were any trades that happened at the time of this recording, which, of course, in the middle afternoon here on this Tuesday uh, on Halloween. I will let you know, of course, the, the uh, Chicago Bears just picked up uh, Montez went from the Washington Commanders as one of those trades. So, again, we're going to integrate the trade talk and everything. I'll talk more about it on Thursday when the trade deadline passes. Without further ado, this is my Week 8 2023 NFL Recap. And we're starting it off with Thursday Night Football 
because the Buffalo Bills defeated the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 24 to 18. Now, the score doesn't indicate that this game was not really close. Buffalo dominated the whole game pretty much. Josh Allen looked really good. I uh, had a couple fluky turnovers, but really the whole night, Buffalo's offense kept going up and down on Tampa. Tampa, after the hot start, I said on the show, I wasn't sure it was going to last. This is Baker Mayfield, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. And really the watch last week to Atlanta uh, solidified that Tampa Bay is not an actual contender. Now, the line in this game was eight and a half, and I said going in, I would not bet the line. I wouldn't be surprised if Buffalo blew them out by 30. I also wouldn't be surprised if Tampa was able to get a backdoor touchdown and cover, which they did. I don't think, by the way, this solves all of Buffalo's issues. We know what Buffalo kind of is at this point. They beat up on the really bad teams. They can play with the good teams, but it's all about the consistency of Josh Allen. They were able to run the ball with it with James Cook on Thursday night, which is always the key. Again, I think Tampa Bay at this point is sellers. I still don't know what to make of that putrid NFC South division, but could Mike Evans, could Chris Godwin be on the trade market? I would not trade either one of them. I think, you know, a Levante David, a Shaq Barrett. I would move off those defensive pieces more than the offensive pieces and set my eventual future quarterback up for success. Now, I told you the Washington Commanders, they always give the Philadelphia Eagles trouble, and it seems like Sam Owl and Commanders offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy have a beat on Sean Desai, the Eagles defensive coordinator, and that Philly defense because Sam Owl nearly threw over 400 yards for the Washington Commanders outside of two goal line fumbles, one by Jalen Hurts on the brotherly shove, one by Kenneth Gainwell held Philadelphia, quote-unquote, to 38 points. Um, again, if it wasn't for those two fumbles, it's very possible Philadelphia could have put 52 up on the Commanders, and the Commanders really did get a garbage-time touchdown. So to be honest with you, and this may be my Eagles bias coming in, this game could have been, you know, 52-24 Eagles. Instead, it ends up being 38-31. Again, Philly's defense... Really struggled in the first half. Washington had a great game plan, but the Eagles were able to adjust. Reed Blankenship with a great interception on Sam Howell. Late third, early fourth quarter to really close the book on the game. And then Jalen Hurts. So a lot of people were talking about the turnovers, myself included. It's the only way seemingly to stop this Philadelphia team. Did not turn the ball over. A.J. Brown had two incredible catches. And I said, it really felt like Washington had the game plan to beat Philadelphia. Run the ball for three yards of carry. Really take time off the clock. The short, quick passing game. They did the short, quick passing game, but they were unable to run the football consistently and keep Jalen Hurts on the sideline for a long period of time. That was the difference in this game. Dallas steamrolled the Rams. I mean, there's not a lot to say. The Rams are pretenders, just like we said at the beginning of the year. When they beat Seattle week one, we said it was a fluke win. We said week one really doesn't matter. Dallas can beat up on the bad teams at home. Dak Prescott had a good game. Matthew Stafford ended up leaving the game. Um, we'll, we'll see what comes out of it. Again, Dallas-Philadelphia, huge matchup that we'll preview on Thursday on Brandon's World. But at the end of the day, this was really just Dallas beating up on the Rams. Dallas covers. 
obviously the six and a half. Uh, this game was not really competitive from the start. Again, Cowboys win 43 to 20. Speaking of a not competitive game, how about the Jets and the Giants? The Giants had negative nine passing yards. I mean, I think this is more of an indictment on Zach Wilson and the Jets' offense for needing overtime and having seven points when it came down to the last play of the game. Really, the throw to Garrett Wilson, they were able to get the spike off, kick the field goal, go to overtime. Again, this was my uh, survivor pool bet of the week. I really thought the Jets' defense was shut down Tyrod Taylor and the Giants which they did. I mean, Tyron Taylor ended up leaving the game the second quarter. The Giants, you know, not really having a quarterback for the second half. They could not move the ball. But really the Giants' defense, which obviously now just sold off uh, Leonard Williams to the uh, Seattle Seahawks. I think that's a good move for Seattle. The Giants know they're not going anywhere. They need to make a move at the quarterback position, but they're tied $40 million at Daniel Jones. What can you do? Uh, the Jets' defense is really good. Their offense is not. We knew it already. Uh, the fact that Zach Wilson needed overtime, again, to beat the Giants, to me, is a little bit of a bad sign for the Jets' offense going forward. Miami beat New England 31-17. I said we all knew Miami would win the game. The question was, would they cover the 9.5-point line, which seemed big, but Miami was able to get another touchdown. Uh, in the fourth quarter there to extend that lead to Tagovailoa, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle once again looking very good in a Dolphins uniform at home, playing a bad defense. The question always is with Miami, what will they do against good teams? On the New England um, legislature, they ended up losing Kendrick Bourne to a torn ACL, another wide receiver down. The New England offense, a lot like the Jets offense, a lot like the Giants offense. Um, it's really a pop gun offense. A lot like Pittsburgh's offense that only mustered 10 points. It was part of my best bets. I took Jacksonville minus two and a half. I said in the rain, in, in the weather, Travis Etienne was going to have a good game. Jacksonville is a better team than Pittsburgh. I don't care if Pittsburgh's at home or not. Jacksonville wins the week in takeaways, and I don't think Kenny Pickett and the Steelers are going to be able to move the ball. Now, Pittsburgh fans are going to play Matt Canada, and he's certainly a bad offensive coordinator. But at the end of the day, Kenny Pickett is not a franchise quarterback. He's a Baker Mayfield-like player. You can win games with him. He really is like Sam Howell and Baker Mayfield, right? You can win games with him. Maybe for Gardner Minshew uh, in that conversation as well. Win games with him. You're not going to the promised land with Kenny Pickett. Sorry, Pittsburgh fans. Indianapolis is with my one miss of my best bets. I had Indianapolis minus one and a half against the Saints. Looked very good early. And then Derek R., um, you know, Shaheed, Chris Olave, the Saints offense really tortured the Colts' defense in that secondary in the second half. Will Indianapolis be able to bounce back? I'm not sure. Uh, their season has kind of felt lost now, you know, um, ever since. The Anthony Richardson injury for the Saints. The question is going to be, can they build on this momentum? Very easy schedule going forward. Are they going to be the team that sort of goes above and beyond here in the NFC South? Because Atlanta certainly is not. Desmond Ritter was benched. They have a four touchdowns to Will Levis, who I said going into the draft, I did not love Will Levis going out of Kentucky. I was surprised he dropped to the second round. 
but he was a little bit too too cocky for me. Reminded me a little bit of Zach Wilson. Reminded me a little bit of Johnny Menzel. As well as I did not think that he was going to be a consistent thrower. And listen, I'm not sold on Will Levis yet. Everybody that wants to buy your Will Levis stock, go ahead. I'm still a fan of Bryce Young, which I did call Carolina plus three, knocking off Houston. I'm still a fan of Anthony Richardson. I still think C.J. Stroud is going to be okay. I don't think he's that next-level franchise quarterback that people already want to anoint him as. I think he struggles against really good defenses. And I think Bryce Young, coming off a bye, played really well there for Carolina and showed you his potential. Nonetheless, though, this doesn't change my opinion on Tennessee or Atlanta. Atlanta, you cannot trust any of the skill position players. B. John Robinson, Jenny Smith, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, Tyler Algier. We just don't know what we're going to get week to week. Will it be Desmond Ritter? Will it be Taylor Heineke? I don't think Arthur Smith really has any idea. Tennessee's to really show off. You know, maybe Ryan Tino goes to Minnesota. Obviously, Kirk Cousins goes down with the Achilles. Minnesota may try to sell with their season. They may not. We don't know. Again, good solid win for Tennessee. I missed it. It was one of the only couple games that I missed on the money line picks. Houston ended up knocking off, or excuse me, uh, Carolina ended up knocking off Houston, as I already said. Minnesota ended up knocking off Green Bay, as I already said. It'll be interesting to see what Minnesota does with Kirk Cousins now, um, with with his injury, what happens as the season progresses. For Green Bay, we already know Jordan Love can't play. Uh, it's getting more and more obvious each and every week. The shock of the week really was Denver. Um, Obviously, we thought there would be more snow on the ground. The maintenance crew did a good job getting that field ready to play. Regardless, Russell Wilson looked great. They were able to run the ball. Kansas City looked sloppy. I still think they're going to be there at the end. Again, don't sell your chief stock. We'll see if they can get a wide receiver at the trade deadline. If they feel like they need to upgrade after the upgrade they already made with McCall Hardman. Baltimore took care of Arizona. Arizona was able to get a backdoor cover. Josh Dobbs is benched. We'll see if a guy like Josh Dobbs or Jacoby Brissett moves to Cleveland, who the, the Kevin Stefanski play call, it was third and three. The Browns had a chance to win the game. You all know P.J. Walker throws the ball off the helmet of a Browns offensive lineman into the lap of Jamal Adams. I watched Seattle to march right down the field. Seattle wins the game 24 to 20. Terrible play call by Kevin Stefanski. The defense did their job. They gave 17 points in the first quarter. And up until that point in the, in the fourth, they haven't given up a point since. Geno Smith did not have a good day. Seattle's offense is not very good. There's all this talk about Seattle now, who obviously overtook San Francisco in the NFC West of being a dangerous team. And I like the addition of Leonard Williams. I think it'll help their pass rush and their run defense on that defensive line. But Geno Smith has not played as good this year as he did last year. They're winning more. Uh, and again, part of it to me was just bad coaching by the Browns. So even though they're four and three, you can make an argument the Browns could be six and two or even seven and one. Coaching, once again, cost them another game. 
I called Cincinnati over to San Francisco. I said Brock Purdy is not good against good teams. He's not good against good defenses. Joe Burrow's going to bounce back. Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd are going to have a good game against a bad Niners secondary, in my opinion. I was right on that. Tyson Badgett did not come to play. Brandon Staley saved his job. Chargers win it 30 to 13. And obviously, Devontae Adams had a meltdown for the Raiders. Jimmy Garoppolo is not great. The question is going to be for Vegas. Do they move on from Devontae Adams? As I keep saying, I know Carolina doesn't have a first-round pick, but for the future, that's what they need is to get Bryce Young a weapon. Is a guy like Jerry Judy, Devontae Adams, hell, even by some wits of God, Justin Jefferson available, will one of these teams that are not in contention this year, will they go for a big play wide receiver, sort of like Jacksonville did last year with Calvin Ridley to set them up for next year? Will the good teams like Philadelphia continue to add? Will Buffalo or San Francisco add a piece in the secondary? I think those are the questions that we get to when it comes to the the trade deadline. Chicago sort of did that, again, adding Montez Sweat from the Washington Commanders. Commanders selling out, out of the watch of the Eagles. Bears get a building block on defense for their future rebuild, which may or may not include Justin Fields, and we'll get that answer as the season commences. I thought this week was really the big separation week in the NFL. We saw who the big boys are. We saw who the pretenders were. Again, money line misses. I went 13-3 and in the money line, which puts me at 82-40 and on the year. The only games I flat out missed. Colts, I had them beating the Saints. I had Atlanta beating Tennessee. And then I did have Kansas City beating Denver, which I think everybody had that result. Though I said Denver would cover... And I was obviously right on that at the seven and a half. My best bet, we had my first push of the year, which was the Jets minus three. Vikings covered, Bengals covered, Jags covered. Indianapolis was really the only one that let me down this week. I said I would take Steichen over Dennis Allen. What I did not realize was the difference that Derek Carr was going to make against Gardner Minshew going into that game. Uh, and that's it for my NFL Week 8 2023 NFL recap. I appreciate it. We'll be back on Thursday covering Game 4, Game 5 of the World Series. Plus, I preview WWE Crown Jewel and give my predictions for the event this weekend in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, and we talk all things NFL trade deadline. It's going to be a massive show. I cannot wait. We'll see you guys on Thursday. And...